So John chapter 18, verses 12 through 40, and John 19, 1 through 16. So uh, we got a few visitors this morning, so what we do in this class is we take a book of the Bible and we just go completely through it from verse 1 to verse whatever the last verse is. So uh, we have been in John for, I think February was a year, so probably almost a year and a half. Um, and so we're getting down near the end. And so last week, we, we covered these verses, and we're covering the trial of Jesus. And uh, so we started last week, and, and we'll continue that uh, this week. So the first thing we, we said last week, that the trial of Jesus, when you go back and look at it, uh, and what was done to him, and how it was done to him, it was really, uh, it, not only was it illegal, it was just, it was just rotten from beginning to end. And historically, the Jews have claimed that uh, the trial of Jesus was legal. But if you go back and look at it, uh, it, was, it was illegal in so many ways. In fact, we've already seen five ways in which the trial itself or the actions of those involved uh, were illegal according to Jewish law. So you remember last week we covered this part. Uh, Jesus was, first of all, examined by Annas. Remember Annas was who? The, he was he was the father of the reigning high priest, but in effect, he was the one that had all the power. Uh, he was examined at night, which you could not do according to Jewish law. You could not hold any kind of court proceeding at night. You always had to do it in the daytime. But you remember after they arrested Jesus, they took him to Annas' house, and he was questioned there. Uh, the Sanhedrin gathered together there. And so... Uh, the judges gave and, and Judas accepted a bride. Uh, Jesus, they had, our criminal court system basically comes out of the Jewish court system. And so a lot of the things that were established in our constitution came out of Jewish law. And for example, one of the things the Jews had was you could not be compelled to testify against yourself. So, that, so to question Jesus was illegal. You couldn't do that. Uh, you had to have witnesses. Um, it was illegal to strike the accused. We said it just like, what would we think if you took somebody into a court of law and the judge asked, said, how do you plead? And he made a smart remark and somebody slapped him. That We, we wouldn't like that, would we? we? We know that's patently illegal, but that was done to Jesus. And of course, as I just mentioned, the, the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court of the Jews, they met before sunrise. You could not do that according to Jewish law. That was illegal to do. Um, and so they had a very specific set of laws, just like we have here in America. And, um, and they broke multiple uh, of those laws. So last week we saw five. Today we're going to look at about five more. Um, the indictment, number six, the indictment against Jesus was obtained illegally and for a couple of reasons. You remember um, Jesus is indicted on the on on one testimony and it was whose testimony anybody it was his own you remember they bring in witnesses and we'll see it in a minute they bring in witnesses and they they all had things to say against Jesus but none of them agreed you remember it said that um, and so they asked Jesus uh, are, you know who are you and he are, are you the son of God and he said I am and they said well that's enough you're indicted. But see, you couldn't do that. This is, this is straight out of the Sanhedrin's documentation. It says this, We have it as a fundamental principle of our jurisprudence that no one can bring an accusation against himself. 
Should a man make confession of guilt before a legally constituted tribunal? By the way, was when they met at night, was that a legally constituted? No, it was not. It wasn't even legal to me. But even if he had made a confession of guilt before a legally constituted tribunal, such confession is not to be used against him unless properly attested by two other witnesses. So they, can, they, they indicted him on one statement, and that was his own, and that was illegal. You could not do that according to their, to their own law. The eyewitnesses test about, testified about one charge. You remember they brought the eyewitnesses in, and one of them said, well, he said he was going to destroy the temple, and he was going to build it again in three days. You remember that? That was what they were testifying against, but he was indicted on something completely different that he claimed to be the Messiah. In other words, he was indicted on one charge, tried on a separate charge, and then condemned on his own testimony. So it was just all, it was, it was a mess. It was, it was not done right. It was all illegal according to, uh, uh, to Jewish law. The next thing that was illegal is he received no defense. You think about it. He, he said, are you the son of God? He said, I am. Oh, he's guilty. <laughs> That's enough. You know, you're going to die. He received no defense. Um, in fact, you remember, immediately after hearing Jesus declare that he was the Son of God, the high priest shouted, he has spoken blasphemy. In other words, that was it. There was no defense. Um, didn't ask him anything else. And in fact, in the Mishnah, it says this, the judges shall weigh the matter in the sincerity of their conscience. Did they weigh the matter? No. They were supposed to, you know... Uh, kind of separate to themselves and talk it out just like we would have a jury do. They didn't do any of that. They just immediately said um, uh, he's, he's, he's spoken blasphemy. They immediately formed an opinion and passed judgment and no defense was given to him. By the way, I mentioned this last week. The high priest, when Jesus, he said, are you the son of God? And the high priest, said, he said, yes, I am. The high priest immediately did what? He tore his clothes. Well, that was illegal. You could not do that according to Scripture. Leviticus 21.10 says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor what? Nor tear his clothes. You can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, why did he, by the way, why do you think he tore his clothes? Exactly. He was trying to incite them. He was trying to get a mob mentality going. Because he knew everything we're doing here is not right. None of this is legal. So what they do is they get a mob mentality going. and they, So he tears his clothes uh, in order to incite fury and prejudice. Uh, what he should have done as the high priest is he should have remained calm and, and, and to avoid hampering others' uh, judgment. So what we see as we move through that passage is that Jesus was convicted by a mob mentality. And by the way, the Jews had specific, the Jews knew how dangerous it was when you get a mob together, right? That you get this this mob mentality going. And they so they had laws for that not to happen. In fact, I mentioned this one last week. The judges on the Sanhedrin, so the Sanhedrin is a Jewish high court, like a supreme court. And they have a certain way they vote. And so one of the, the Mishnah says this, the proper method of voting is for the judges, each in his turn, to absolve or condemn. So let's say there were 20 of them, then they should have went down the line, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And each one had made a vote. They didn't do that. 
the high priest said he's he's guilty, and they just they took him out. Okay, so even there they did the wrong thing. And in fact, even if you go back and read it, even the order of voting was spelled out. Listen to this. In ordinary cases, the judges voted according to seniority, the oldest commencing or going first. But listen to this. In a capital case, what's a capital case? Death penalty. In a death penalty case, the reverse order was followed. The younger members of the Sanhedrin, so that the younger members of the Sanhedrin were not to be influenced by the views or the arguments of the older members, the junior judge was in these cases always the first to pronounce for or against conviction. So the way it was supposed to work, and by the way, they were trying to sentence Jesus to death, right? So if they followed their own rules, they would have gone to the youngest judge and said, what do you think? So they didn't let, because you know what would happen, if you go the oldest first, by the time you get to the youngest one, What's the, what are they going to do? They're going to be influenced by what the older ones did. So they had, they had a protocol in place that any time you had a death penalty case, you always let the younger one go first so they're not influenced by the, uh, by the older judges. So they had all kind of rules so this mob mentality wouldn't happen. In fact, listen to this. They were so concerned that the mob mentality not happen. Listen to this. A simultaneous and unanimous verdict of guilt rendered on the day of the trial has the effect of an acquittal. They're saying if we bring a person in and we try them in one day and everybody votes guilty, it's just like saying you're free to go. That, in other words, that can't be right. It, it was too fast, number one. And the fact that if everybody finds him guilty and there's not even one person that thought he might be innocent, it says it has the effect of the acquittal. In the book, Martyrdom of Jesus, it says this, if none of the judges defend the culprit, in other words, they all pronounce him guilty, and he has no defender in the court, the guilty verdict was invalid and the sentence of death could not be executed. In other words, if you go in there and everybody just says he's guilty and nobody stands up to even try and defend him, then they said the sentence of death could not be carried out. Because they... They understood how dangerous this mob mentality thing was. And so they had rules and protocols and laws in place so that that, um, that would not happen. Um, number eight, the reason that Jesus' trial was illegal, his sentence was illegally pronounced in a place forbidden by law. You remember they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and they take him to Annas' house, Right? And so the Sanhedrin all comes over to his house and they're meeting at night. They're, they're not meeting in their normal court. Um, and, and so Jewish law expressly forbids an individual being tried anywhere but in a court. Um, the Talmud says this, after leave, leaving the hall gazes, which is the court where the Sanhedrin meets, no sentence of death can be passed upon anyone whosoever. In other words, if you're not in the, the court, you cannot pass a sentence of death. And of course, we're, they're over at somebody's house, right? And they sentence him to death. The San, their, Sanhedrin's own rule says this, a sentence of death can be pronounced only so long as the Sanhedrin holds its sessions in the appointed place. Okay? So you could, I mean, the more you read about this, the more you see just how rotten this thing was to the core. Now, by the way, did the Jewish leaders, did they, did they know these laws? Absolutely. By the way, who knows laws better than a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees? They know every law. 
and they are breaking them left and right. So they had to do something, right? So what, they had to tidy things up. So let's look at, we'll come back to our stuff in a minute. Mark 15, 1 says this, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the council. Now remember, they arrested him, they took him to Annas' house that night, right? And they, they questioned him, they brought in witnesses, and they condemned him, said, you're guilty. Why in the world, when it became morning, would they all meet again? They're trying to make it legal. They're trying to make it legal. That's, that's exactly right. They knew everything they had done was illegal, so they have to make it look legal. So as soon as daylight came, they all get together at the, at the hall gazes, which is where the Supreme Court meets, and they all met together to make it uh, right. Now, but here's the problem. Even this is illegal, okay? Because the Sanhedrin cannot convene a death penalty case on the day before the Sabbath. It's written in their own rules. Listen to this. No court of justice in Israel was permitted to hold sessions on the Sabbath or any of the seven biblical holy days. In the cases of capital crime, now here we are. What, what, he's arrested. He, the, he has the Last Supper on Thursday night, right? He goes to the garden. It's early morning Friday. All of this stuff is going on on a Friday, right? Which is the day before the Sabbath, right? Um, look at this. In cases of criminal capital trial, no trial could be commenced on Friday or the day previous to any holy day because it was not lawful either to adjourn such cases longer than overnight or to continue them on the Sabbath or the holy day. So when you had a death penalty case, here's the thing, with a death penalty case, you could not do a verdict in one day. That was illegal. Because that's not, that's not we all know that's not right, is it? If somebody, if we had a case in Crockerville and they met, any of y'all been on jury duty? You know how you go in there and you sit there and they ask you questions? And they pick a jury and they say come back in a week or two weeks or tomorrow right or this afternoon what happens if what happened if they arrested a guy on Friday morning they took him in the courthouse they picked a jury they found him guilty they tried him found him guilty took him outside and hung him and it all happened in 12 hours what would we think about that that's not quite right, is it? See, they understood that. You, you cannot find somebody guilty of death in one day. It, something that enormous, something that should take time. You should think about it. So what happens is, is you couldn't have a death penalty case in one day, but you also could not adjourn. You couldn't hold trial on the Sabbath, right, which was the next day, and you couldn't adjourn a death penalty case for, and, and say come back Sunday or come back Monday you couldn't do that so therefore it was illegal to start it on the day before the Sabbath because they knew you can't this just won't work of course here they are meeting when on the day before the Sabbath well no remember this is the morning so it's legal in the sense that it's not at night but it's the day before the Sabbath therefore it's, it's illegal uh, again the trial concluded in one day listen to the Mishnah which is the Jew, Jews own book a criminal case resulting in the acquittal of the accused may terminate the same day on which the trial began. In other words, if you find him not guilty, that's okay. But if a sentence of death is to be pronounced, it cannot be concluded before the following day. So if you're going to find him guilty of death, that trial has to go at least two days. 
Now, you remember we said last week, Jesus was probably arrested around midnight uh, on, um, on, on Thursday night or early Friday morning, and within 12 hours, he's dead. Well, within 12 hours, he's executed. I mean, that, that you know, in, uh, arrested, indicted, arraigned, charged, tried, and found guilty in 12 hours. That's how quick this thing was. So again, there was a couple reasons for this. Forcing a trial to last longer than one day allows time for witnesses to come forward, right? I mean, they didn't want to just kill somebody. They wanted to make sure that everything went through the proper uh, of channels. Of course, none of that was allowed in Jesus' case. Let's look at verse uh, 28. We covered Last week we covered up to verse 28. Let's start there. It says this, Then they led Jesus from the house of Capus to the governor's headquarters. Now, governor is who? This is Pilate. Okay, so they're taking him from the Sanhedrin to uh, the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So they, they go over to the governor's headquarters where Pilate is. This is in verse 28. And, and it says, Jesus himself went in, but none of them would go in because it would defile them. By the way, and we mentioned this last week, did you know there is no law in the Old Testament that forbids Jews from going into the house of a Gentile? There's, there's nothing in the Bible that says they can't do that. Um, the fact is, the rule of the law came about from the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah, let me just explain what the Mishnah is. Uh, we said this last week, the Jews are kind of like us. They figure if, you know, God gave them a set of rules in the Old Testament, right? That they were to live by. Well, they figure if a hundred rules is good, then a thousand must be better, right? And we're kind of, aren't we, we said this before, don't we kind of do the same thing? Don't we kind of make, you know, well, the Bible don't say much, let's just make up our own rule and go by that. And then we treat it just like Scripture. Well, that's exactly what they did. They had their own traditions. They had their own rules and regulations that weren't in the Bible, but they treated them exactly like they were in the Bible. And one of the traditions that they had was that they would they would be defiled if they went into a uh, a Gentile's house. Now this is this is really this is the this is kind of the epitome of the Pharisees. If you watch what they're doing, they are so careful not to break the little tiny nitpicky legalistic meaningless rule that they made up on their own, right? But yet they'll turn right around and break all those other rules. Right? And not only that, they'll, they'll break Scripture and murder their own Messiah. Okay? Um, it's, it's legalism. And legalism, let's, let's face it, legalism is a shocking thing. If you get it, it is a dirty, shocking thing. Listen, um, they're basically confirming the very things. Remember what Jesus said about them in Matthew 23, uh, 23 to 28? He said this. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel, right? You won't walk into a Gentile's house because it'll defile you, but you'll murder a perfectly innocent person. You strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. He says you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead men's people's bones and all uncleanliness. So outward you appear righteous to others, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, or hypocrisy and, and sin. Let's read on, verses 29 through 32 in John 18. So Pilate, they take him over to Pilate's house. Jesus goes inside. 
And then later Pilate comes out, and Pilate comes out to them and says, What accusation do you bring against this man? Okay? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What kind of answer is that? He says, Why are you bringing this man? And they just said, Man, if he he's got to be doing something wrong. We wouldn't have brought him, right? Are you questioning us? Are you questioning our character? Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to, to die. By the way, a lot of people believe that the Jews had no legal right to kill people. And in fact, they, they used this scripture. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And by the way, if you take just this verse out of its context and read it, it does sound like the Jews couldn't kill people, right? Yet the truth is, they did have the power to try, convict, and execute people. Somebody Name somebody that they, that they uh, killed. Who'd they kill not too long in about, I don't, know how many, in a, you know, I don't know how many days it is or months it is, they take somebody outside the city. Stephen. They killed Stephen, didn't they? Um, yeah, see, the fact, Stephen was accused of blasphemy, and as a result, he was stoned to death by the Jews in Acts 7. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. They didn't consult the Romans there, did they? they didn't, you don't see anything about They just took him outside the city, and they, and they killed him. By the way, on several occasions, the scribes and Pharisees sought to kill Jesus, didn't they? You read that in Mark 11, Mark 14, Luke 19, Luke 22, John 10. They wanted to kill him. Okay, in fact, in his own town of Nazareth, remember he goes into the temple, he opens the, the, the scrolls, he reads it, and he closes it up, and he says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And what, what did they do? It says they took him outside the city to a cliff and was going to throw him over Killed. They did it all the time. Um, the, remember the, the woman called in adultery? They bring her before Jesus and they said, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? I mean, they wanted to kill her, didn't they? Um, they, had, they acted as if they had every right to execute the punishment. The fact is the Roman government would only intervene in criminal affairs when it was a matter of treason. Blasphemy, that was up to the Jews. Okay? Um, otherwise, local administrators were uh, local administration was conducted by local officials and the regular courts of the Jews. So the Jews actually could execute people for crimes, just not the crime of treason. That that right belonged to the Romans. What happened is the Jews wanted Jesus to be killed by the Romans, so they didn't get the blame for it. Right? They knew there were still people out there that that uh, that 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 worshipped Jesus. That adore Jesus. They didn't want to look bad in front of the people. They didn't want to have his blood on their hands. And so they wanted the, uh, the Romans to do it. So the only way they could do that, they got tricky. Remember, he was, in, he was indicted for what? Blasphemy. But the Romans, did they care about blasphemy? They could care less about that. Like, what does that mean to us? We don't, that's, that's your business. You go handle that. So because the Jews didn't want to execute him, they had to get a, a little bit tricky. So what they did is they created charges 
of treason against him. That way the trial could be brought before Pontius Pilate and in their minds the Romans would be guilty of his death and, and not them. But again, keep in mind this is all taking place because Jesus had to die how? He had to hang on a tree. By the way, if the Jews would have killed him, how would he have been killed? He'd have been stoned to death for blasphemy. That was the punishment for, for blasphemy. He couldn't die that way, could he? He had to die on a tree because that's what was prophesied by Isaiah and by others. And so this is all happening to fulfill the word uh, of the Scriptures. And so it's going exactly the way God wanted it to happen. Now, in this little story right here that John's recounting, he leaves out a lot of details, uh, but there are other Gospels which give us the, the details. Look at Luke 23, 1-2, when it's talking about when they brought him to Pilate. It says this, The whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forgetting, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the King. You see what they're doing? We, we found this man and he's forbidding us to pay taxes. Now, did Jesus ever do that? In fact, what did Jesus say? Render under Caesar's what's Caesar's and render under God what is God. He never did that. So they're just blatantly lying to get him accused of uh, to get him uh, to get him accused of treason. And you can see what they're doing. They're trying to make Jesus look like an earthly revolutionary who's going to lead a rebellion and crown himself king. And they're trying to make it look like he's going to overthrow the Roman government. Now, by the way, Pilate, which is a Pilate, is a really interesting guy. In this um, he's not stupid. You don't get to where where he is without you know without being having some kind of sense. He knows exactly what they're doing. He knows they're trying to put Jesus off on them. He knows they got their own problem. And so uh, let's see what he does. Look at verses thirty three to thirty four. So Pilate goes back inside to talk to Jesus, and he said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus said to Pilate. Are you saying this of your own accord, or did somebody else say this about me? Now that's a that's a really interesting question. Now here, think about Pilate. Pilate's just this, you know, he's this Roman governor. He's he's he got assigned to Judea and Galilee and that area, and he had no idea that the, the Savior of the world was going to be born while he was there. And so here he is on this day, and Jesus himself gets brought to him. And they're alone in this room, I guess. Might be some soldiers there. And Pilate asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? Yes or no? And, and I'm not even sure Pilate knew what that meant. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Pilate, are you saying this out of your own curiosity? Do, do you want to know? Are you asking me? Or are you just repeating something somebody told you? He's really posing the question to Pilate. He's saying to him, Pilate, do you really want to know who I am? Do you want to know? Okay? Are you just repeating what the Jews... In other words, Pilate, think for yourself, right? Don't miss this opportunity. Okay? Um, in the end, now, Pilate is dismissive because he wants nothing to do with this fiasco. He wants to get out of this thing some way, somehow. But more than in his heart, what you notice, what's so sad about Pilate's story is he's in a room alone with the Son of God and he completely misses it. He, he has an opportunity of a lifetime. He will never get it again. In the room, alone, 
with the God of the universe and he completely <laughs> misses it. Look what Pilate says to Jesus. He says, Pilate, do you really want to know? And Pilate just says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So he's just, he's just dismissive of, of Jesus. Now, Pilate admits that, Jesus, that Rome has no indictment of Jesus. They have no accusation at all against him. As far as he knows, he's never done anything reactionary or revolutionary. He acknowledges the whole thing is a Jewish issue. It's a, a religious issue with your own people. They're the ones that dragged you in here. And you can almost hear the question in Pilate's mind, what have you done? What have you done to bring you to, to this place? Now, Jesus answers him beautifully. He answers in a way that is absolutely truthful, but he also answers in a way that harbors no insurrection against Rome. So remember, Pilate says, what have you done? Look what Jesus said in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But he says it again, my kingdom is not from this world. In other words, are you a king? Absolutely I am. But my kingdom has nothing to do with this world. Okay? I mean, that's a beautiful answer, right? Yes, I'm a king. That's truthful. But I'm no threat to you. I don't care anything about your government. I don't care what you do. It's got nothing to do with anything. That's not why I'm, I'm here. Now, Pilate has no clue what Jesus is saying. He only knows about earthly kings, right? He only knows politics and briberies and, and corruption and that kind of thing. Uh, he hasn't got the slightest idea what Jesus is talking about. And he says it again. Pilate said to him in verse 37, So you are a king. And Jesus said, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now watch what he's saying again. Pilate is alone in the room with the God of the universe, and Jesus says, This is why I came into the world, to tell you the truth, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Now what do you think Pilate says? Right? Don't, don't miss the invitation, the personal invitation that Jesus gives to Pilate. Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, Pilate, you have this opportunity. If you'll just listen to me, if you'll just recognize who I am, do you want to know the truth? Okay? But Pilate, like so many in the world today, he dismisses his Jesus' invitation to know the truth. Verse 38, very famous saying, Pilate said to him, What's truth? And, 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 you know, instead of just taking that opportunity to, to question Jesus and say, tell me the truth. What truth are you talking about? He just dismisses him. What's truth? I know too many... I, I've got a, I told you all this before. I've got a friend of mine in Texas who, who's an agnostic. And he's not an atheist because an atheist says he doesn't believe in God. But an agnostic is somebody who just says, you know what? Prove it. No. I don't know. You, you can't know if there is a God. You can't know if there's not a God. I, I, it's just not no. And I've talked to him about it before. And he's just, it's like he's not interested even to know. And I keep telling him it makes no sense because he's a smart guy. I said, this is, there's no other question more important than this one. Is there a God? Yes or no? Make up your mind. And uh, so he, I, he, Pilate reminds me of this guy because he's like, man, who, who can know? Who, who can know the truth? And that's just, I mean, that's the, that's the coward's way out. I got more respect 
for an atheist who at least has tried and made a decision, I got more respect for them than I do for somebody who won't even make a decision. That I have no respect for that. In other words, Pilate says, who can know what's true and what isn't? Now in verse 38 it goes on to say, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he said to them, what? I, got, I, I don't, There's no guilt in this guy. He hasn't said anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. We've got nothing uh, against him. Now, to Pilate's credit, he wants to release Jesus. He has found no guilt, no accusation worthy of death. Luke 23 tells us this in a little more detail. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Now, the Jews will not let it go, will they? They're determined that Jesus is going to die. Now, Pilate is a politician. Okay? And politicians, they're always... What are they looking for? They... Which way is the wind blowing, right? So he's got this situation on his hands that he's got to deal with. Now, when they tell him, oh, he's been teaching in Judea, Pilate gets this idea, okay? So what he does, he tries to pass the buck. Uh, Luke 23 tells us this. Now, John doesn't cover this part of the story, but Luke says this. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. So you see what he's doing? Oh, I know what. I'm not going to get stuck. You take care of it. And so he passes him over to, uh, to King Herod. Um, Luke 23 tells us about this, um, about this transaction. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign. So Herod had heard, there's this man out there, he's healing people, he's raising the dead, he'd been wanting to see Jesus and he finally gets his chance. So he questioned him at some length, okay, but Jesus did what? He never opened his mouth. He questioned him and it says at some length, so I would assume an hour, two hours, some length, Jesus wouldn't say a word to him, okay? The chief priest and the scribe stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been in enmity with each other. So he sends him over to Herod to pass the buck. Jesus won't say anything. And so Herod puts a robe on him and sends him back over to, uh, back to Pilate. Now I want to make a spiritual point at this time. He, Pilate tried to get rid of him, did he? Did Pilate try to get rid of him? Yeah, what happened? He came right back. Listen, you have here an example what every man and woman has to face, and that is an ultimate decision of what to do with Jesus Christ. You cannot get rid of him. Okay? You can try to ignore him. You can put him out of your mind. You can try to say dismiss him by saying what is truth, but the fact is... Pilate tried every single thing he could to get rid of Jesus and God forced him to make the decision himself at the end of the day and that's exactly what happens to you and I you, it's, it's the exact thing what Jesus said to Peter who do you say that I am I don't care what your mama said what your grandma said what your auntie said what do you say 
Who do you say I am? That's the question that every man and woman on this earth has to answer. Who is Jesus Christ to you? God gives everybody He gives us. Everybody has to make that, that choice. So God forces Pilate to make that decision. Now he's faced with two options. Number one, do the right thing. Knowing Jesus is innocent, he can let him go. But if he does that, this is the way he's thinking. If I let him go, then I, I might have a Jewish revolution on my hands, right? I'm sent here. My job is to what? Keep order. Keep everybody happy. I don't want any riots. I don't want anybody being killed. I'm, this is my job is to keep order. If I, don't, if I do the right thing and let him go, the Jewish guys are going to revolt. They could go to Caesar and I could get fired. Right? I'd lose my place. I'd lose my power. I'd lose my job. Do the right thing, lose your job. Second option, do the wrong thing and kill an innocent man. Now, I think in some sense, Pilate was a, a moral man. I think, you know, by the way, he was able to look at Jesus and say, I find no guilt in him. Wasn't he? I mean, he could have easily just said, oh, you want him dead, I'll kill him. He didn't do that. He said, I find no guilt in him. So I think in some sense, he had a, a conscience. He had a barometer with himself of right or, or wrong. But it came down to two choices, save his soul or save his job. Save your soul or save your job. And he didn't like either one of those options. <laughs> so he's trying different things. Now, Pilate's a politician. Now, watch him. So the first thing he did to get out of it was what? Send him over to Herod. That didn't work, so they come back to him. Now watch this. First, he tries to appease the Jews by releasing Jesus as part of a Jewish custom. Look at John verses 39 through 40. He comes out to the Jews. He says, hey, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? So again, see what he's trying to do? He, I don't want to kill this guy. So I know what I'll do. I'll let him go as part of your custom. You want me to let him go? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. Luke 23 actually tells us this. They all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. So evidently, he was, he was a revolutionary, a murderer, and a robber. And they said, kill the innocent man and let the murderer go. Kill the innocent man and let the, the robber go. Now that didn't work. So being a politician, and, and by the way, a typical human being, he tries to find another option. So he calls together, Luke 23 tells us this, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done. That sounds good. So he's got another idea. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll punish him and release him. Okay? In other words, I'm not going to kill him. And you see how he's getting closer? First he's innocent, and now at the end is death. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm not going to kill him, but I'll go ahead and punish him. Even though he hasn't done anything, even though he's not guilty of anything, let me go ahead and punish him, and I will uh, release him. Look at John 19, 1 through 5. I have a question about 
No, I, I don't think Pilate. I think he just used those words. I, I don't think Pilate really understood who Jesus was. I don't think he had enough knowledge. I don't think he had enough. I just don't think he really knew who he who he was. He definitely didn't believe it in the sense that a disciple would truly believe it. Um, so I just don't think he knew. I think he's. I think at the end of the day, he probably liked Jesus more than he liked them. You know, I mean, how could you how could you be in a room with Jesus and not be drawn to him, not understand there was something different about him? So I think in some sense he saw an innocent man, a, a kingly man, and but I don't think he had the full knowledge of who he who he was. Um, look at verses one through five of nineteen, and we're getting near the end. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Innocent man hadn't done anything. And Pilate, by the way, still don't want to kill him. So he takes that cat of nine tails and he flogs him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And of course, they're being sarcastic. They're being facetious. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again. Now, Pilate says, Okay, maybe that's enough. So Pilate goes out to them again and says, See, I'm bringing them out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, said to them, Behold the man. Okay? Pilate is obviously hoping that this punishment will be enough, but the Jews' lust for blood will not be satisfied until Jesus is hung on a tree. Verses 6 through 7. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him yourselves and crucify him. I don't find any guilt in him. I mean, Pilate does not want to, does everybody see that? He does not want to do this thing. He knows it's not right. The Jews answered him. Now watch, now this is very, I want, I want to show you something here. The Jews said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die. Right? Now they're going back, we have a law that he's a blasphemer. And our law says he ought to die. Yeah, your law, law also says you're supposed to stone him. Why are you giving it? You know, it's, it's just this whole, they'll say anything to get what they want. That's all, they're, that's all they're doing. Now keep in mind, all this started early in the morning when they brought Jesus to Pilate. Remember they met early and they brought him over? Pretty, I'm sure at the time they brought him over to Pilate, the, the crowds were pretty sparse. Um, uh, in fact, sometimes that morning, Pilate gets a warning from his wife. Everybody remember this? Matthew 27, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him saying, Have nothing to do with that man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So his wife says, Man, do, do not mess with that man. Don't have anything to do with him. So you can see why Pilate is like, he is not wanting to do this thing. He don't feel right about it. His wife's warned him. He don't like the Jews. He knows what everything is saying. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And as the hours passed, the crowds grew and a mob mentality began to take over. Matthew 27 tells us this. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, By the way, it's grown now. It's not just the chief priest and the Sanhedrin and the Jews. It's, it's crowds growing. And the crowds are all getting incited to crucify 
Jesus. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. At the end of the day, Pilate sees the crowd and is getting out of control. I mean, I think at early in the day, he, he was probably in control. By this time, he's in a panic. This is getting way out of control. Again, save his soul, save his job. For him, it came down to his place, his position, and his power. And he thinks that somehow he can go out and wash his hands with water and be absolved of it. When he had every opportunity not to, uh, to do this thing. Again, at this, at this point, the situation is rapidly deteriorated. Pilate started out in control, but now he's in a panic. Look at verses 8 through 11. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Now you can see now he's like, Who are you? that they would want to kill you so bad. And at this point, Jesus, that's enough. I said everything I'm going to say. He gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him one more time and said, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Okay? Now, he tried once again to release him. Now, but I want you to understand something. <clears throat> I'm going to show you this here. Why, why couldn't Pilate just stand up to the Jews? He knew he was innocent, didn't he? he I, I think he wanted to let him go, don't you? He wanted to get out of the situation. Why couldn't he? Look what, look what happened in verses 12 through 13. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He's still trying to let him go, but the Jews cries out. Now watch this. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard those words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now, I want you to see something here. When Pilate heard those words, that sealed the deal. Okay? Now, there's a reason for that. You've got you to know a little bit about the history of Pilate and the Jews. I want to give you a couple things here. When, when the Romans would come in and conquer a land or a country, they would do something that was very unusual for that time. Most people, like the Greeks, would come in and they conquered a land. They would get rid of the local government and they would establish their own. The Romans didn't do that. The Romans did something different. They would let people govern themselves. Okay, That's why King Herod was still the king of the, of the Jewish people, king of Israel. Everybody with me? Pilate was there kind of as an overseer to make sure everything you know, went okay, but he basically let them, the Jews, rule them themselves, and that was just what the Romans uh, did. Now, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor who was sent from Rome to preside as procurator over the land of Palestine. He was put in that position in 26 A.D., and he lasted till 35 A.D. Two years later, after Jesus was killed, he was sent home. But from the very beginning, he had issues with the Jews. And it, it all started in his first visit to Jerusalem. And by the way, this is all documented 
by uh, Josephus uh, in his history of the Jews. And so this is documented outside the Bible. So the first, when he's, when he's initially installed as governor, he comes down to Jerusalem. Okay. By the way, the, the Roman government was up in Caesarea. That's where they, they renamed this town after Caesar. They call it Caesarea. That's where the palace was. That's where the Roman governor stayed. But he came down to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Why and, does everybody think it's Rome? That's, why does everybody think it's Rome that's, that's the capital? Well, it is for the Roman Empire, but in Jerusalem he had his own city. Where the Rome, it's kind of like Tallahassee is the capital of Florida. Caesarea was the capital of Judea and, and Palestine. So when he first comes, he comes down to Jerusalem, and he comes with all this pomp and circumstance. He's got soldiers, and they're on horses, and he's in this big carriage, and he, they're carrying these standards or these flags that he used to carry. And on the flag is a picture of Caesar. Okay. Now, the previous governors before him wouldn't display those images because they understood that it was offensive to the Jews. So Pilate comes in and he says, I don't care what those guys have done. I'm going to do what I want to do. So he marches into town and uh, he's got these, uh, uh, these images of Caesar on these flags. Now, the Jews immediately go to him and say, hey, will you remove those pictures? That's offensive to us. And Pilate said, no, I'm not going to remove them. You know, you just put up with it. So he finally, see, finally finishes his business in Jerusalem. He goes back to Caesarea. A whole mob of Jews follows him on the road. They won't leave him alone. And they follow him all the way to Caesarea, and they keep bugging him for five days. They will not go away. They're, 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 they're out there, you know, uh, protesting. they're protesting. You know, images of Caesar's got to go. You know, they're out there marching around the, the palace and everything. And, and they keep telling him, you got to remove them, you got to remove them. So finally he says, meet me in the amphitheater. So he gets them all over in the amphitheater and he surrounds them with soldiers. And he basically says, if you don't stop bugging me and go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to kill all of you. And the Jews said, then kill us. Just go ahead. So poor old Pilate is stuck. Because remember, he's sent to do what? Keep order. It wouldn't work very good back home if the first thing you do was slaughter about 500 Jews. That wouldn't go very well. So what he did is he bluffed, and they called his bluff. And so he was stuck. See, he tried to scare them, but it didn't work. So how would it look if he began his rule by killing a bunch of citizens? And so he knew that wouldn't sit well with his bosses back home, so he gave in, and he removed the images. Now, guess what? The Jews knew what his weak spot was. Didn't they? See, they knew right now, uh-uh. We know what his, what his weak spot was. They knew what button to push. By the way, the same thing happened a few years later. Although he was headquartered in Caesarea, Pilate had a temporary dwelling, a little temporary house in uh, Herod's palace in Jerusalem. And when he, when he set it up, he hung shields on the walls, and the shields had images of Caesar on them. And the Jews began to complain about that, that he was bringing false gods into their country. By the way, the Romans believed Caesar was a... God. So it wasn't just a picture of a man. To the Jews, it was a picture of their God. And they said, you can't do that. So they asked him again, remove them. And he said, no, you know, I, I did the other thing you asked me to do, but this is inside of a house. It's inside my palace. I'm not going to remove them. So the Jews appealed to, to Caesar. 
they sent an emissary to Caesar to say, hey, uh, we've got this, this uh, conflict with, with Pontius Pilate. So the emperor Tiberius took their side, the Jews' side, sent a message back to Pilate and told him to take them down. Okay? So once again, Pilate tried to stand up to the Jews and he had to back down. Now I'm telling you all that for a reason, to, to explain why Pilate would kill an innocent man. You see, later on, Pilate is going to try to let Jesus go. But the Jews knew exactly what to say to get him to do what they wanted him to do. See, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not a friend to Caesar. Caesar's going to hear about this. We're going to let Caesar know about this. Okay? Because everyone who makes himself a king opposed... They, by, everybody see what he did? They knew exactly what button to push. And when he heard those words, he said, I don't, to him he had no other choice than to kill him. In the end, that was the kind of man Pilate was. He was a coward. He was one of the men that John spoke of in John 12. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. He loved his job, his place, his power, and his prestige. And he would kill an innocent man in order to keep those things. In fact, he would kill uh, the Savior um, of the world. I don't care who you are, where you live, when you live, you have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Pilate tried over and over and over again to get rid of him, to, to not have to make that decision, but he couldn't do it. And even at the end, he tries to wash his hands, but it doesn't work that way, does it? You, you can't wash your hands uh, of, of Jesus Christ. In the end, he was faced with a choice, save his job, save his power, his position, his way of life, or save his own, uh, his own soul. By the way, every one of us are faced with that exact same choice. Which one do you want? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want your own life, your own self, your own power, your own prestige, your own way? Which one? You can't have both. You can't have both. It's one or the other. We're all faced with that same choice. What are you going to do? Your soul or your body? Eternal salvation or the world? We can't pass the buck. We can't compromise. We can't run away from it. In the end, like Pilate and Peter and Annas and Cephas, we all have to answer the most important question in the world. And that is, Jesus said, but who do you say um, that, I, that I am? Verses 14 through 16, now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour of noon. Remember, it started about midnight the night before. Twelve hours had gone by. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, one more time, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, that is so sad. We have no king but Caesar. These are, by the way, these are the same guys who, who followed Pilate and said, go ahead and kill us. And now they're willing to say, we have no king but Caesar just to get Jesus killed. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is, what has, this is what it's come to. The same Jews who would rather die than have Caesar's image on a flag are now bowing down to Caesar. Because see, when you don't bow to Jesus, you'll bow to anybody. You see the thing? You don't bow to Jesus, you'll bow to anybody. And that's exactly what they made their choice. And now we have no king but Caesar. That's what happens when you reject him. You choose the lie over the truth. You choose the darkness over the light. And you choose the world over Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...
John 18 and the beginning of John 19. We thank you for um, all that you've taught.